0: Truth is the authority. 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 All right, first authority. thing, bring your A game because I'll take nothing less. I mean, we don't need more regulations. We need far less of them. We're going to have an open and honest discussion, but the numbers are what matter. The facts matter. Forget about the Republicans and the Democrats for a minute. Let's talk about the people. I've
1: lived the American dream, and I want so many more people to be able to live the American dream.
0: My show is what it says it's common sense. We've jettisoned political correctness. It's principles and policies that work for everybody I just want to talk about how to fix this country The David web Show You know earlier a caller brought up uh, the word ideology and I, I went a little further we need to Look, at, be, look beyond the, the word, the phrase, the term, the bumper sticker, if you will, and that's just the way it works. But do we really look beyond these at the right time? We, you know, Think about the Latin phrase, civis pacem, parabellum. If you want peace, prepare for war. Do we really... Understand and apply the full scope of that. We have to go further, look wider, and analyze where we are now with Afghanistan. Who will take advantage? Why will they do so? Why would they not, for that matter? Those were enemies of freedom. We want peace in this country generally speaking you know we in much of the world wants peace but sometimes peace has to be won on the battlefield wherever that battlefield is even in cyberspace the taliban have had different times of consolidating their power last round was in the late 90s so will they be the kinder gentler taliban now Or if they just learned to play the publicity game, given social media and new technology a little bit better. Now they have an English-speaking magazine, a terrorist recruitment tool. Now they have new media, the internet, technology, and much more. And they have a leadership that's learned, including one of those lessons that other nations, as we've done in this country, will put their leaders back on the battlefield after we've captured them. That's a lot on the table, so let's get uh, into it with Lisa Daftari, Editor-in-Chief of The Foreign Desk at foreigndesknews.com. Lisa, good morning. How are you?
1: Good morning. How are you, David?
0: Trying to unpack a lot here, Lisa, and one of the reasons I wanted you to in for this audience to listen for the american people to listen is you look broader and you get the on the ground so first to you where are you now and what have you heard and seen not just in afghanistan but beyond
1: yeah this is this is a a horrible 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 situation it's not a partisan situation it's not meant to you know, bring back you know Trump as a hero and to bash Biden. This is going to have ramifications for decades to come, just like everything else does in the Middle East. I would say this is probably the biggest gain that the Iranian regime has made since 1979. And 1979, if you all recall, is the uh, the Iranian Revolution that began the modern the modern day. Uh, color war in the Middle East between Sunni and Shiite, between moderate, I would say, and and less moderate. And the Iranian regime was driving driving this force. Uh, and we've done this, and you mentioned ideology, but um, we have tried to fight this ideology. And, you know, what's, what's crazy to me is we, we sat here and we watched the attacks of 9-11 20 years ago, and everyone was up in arms. And what did we have then? We had a, a group called Al-Qaeda uh, that was planning and plotting out of caves. And then we had ISIS in 2014, and everyone was, again, up in arms. And what did we have? We had a terror force of at at, the, at its peak, maybe 75 or 80,000 fighters, but much less at most times. And where were they? Out of little pockets in Syria and in Iraq. And, again, everyone was up in arms. And it was a non-partisan issue. And now you have a terror organization, that's a self-proclaimed terror organization, that has never gone away. Like you said, they were very, very, very active in the 90s in Afghanistan. While we were there for 20 years, it's not that they weren't there. It's just that they were they were they were held back from advancing. And now you have this a, a nation with a tremendous weapons arsenal handed to them on a silver platter and you said it perfectly the fact that they come on social media and they have promised the world a more moderate space i mean that's just bogus it's like it's like a fish thing it promises not to swim in water it's it just it it's a waste of time it's the argument that or, or debate that shouldn't be had and we have to focus on the tremendous threat that this will bring upon not just the region but our assets, and of course the the, the world in in total. Uh, I know it's going to have a huge toll on Europe, on on our hemisphere, because it's it's another win for the war uh, of terror against the war on terror, and uh, we've lost. We've just lost this, and it, it it has huge ramifications. The people on the ground understand this. Of course, we ask them what do the people think. The Afghan people know exactly what's what's happening. That's why they're willing to risk their lives to hang on to an airplane for the very slightest chance of of getting taken out of Afghanistan. So uh, we know that the women have already been told not to come to work in certain segments. Uh, they've been told not to come to university in certain provinces. Uh, they know exactly what's in store for them in the future. Uh,
0: we need to get beyond Kabul, and what's playing out there literally as we speak. But how do we, Lisa? Uh, I've done my best to reach out to some. You have many more, maybe not in Afghanistan, but sources around the Middle East. And the reporting cannot go beyond Kabul. Uh, I'll speak for Fox. I can't speak to other networks. But Fox News, for example, managed to extract about 26, somewhere between 26 and 30 Mm -hmm. Uh, People that as a network we've worked with used as producers and and sourcing uh, on the ground in Afghanistan. But outside of that, there are other provincial cities, if you will, that that are relevant. We don't know what's going on. And have you had any reporting, any insight on that uh, from what is happening outside of Kabul?
1: Yes, there are actually, you know, um, and you're absolutely right. We have to take our focus off of, of, of Kabul because that's exactly what we're seeing. That's where um, very, very, that's where the miscalculation took place, right? Because it was always the timing of Kabul, which um, obviously being uh, center and being, you know, the, the capital and and just being the center of, of, of focus and attention uh, makes sense. But um, I do have. Uh, People that have, I've used before as sources or people who are just in touch with me that are in other places, and it's just the same for them, but they're trying to get out in in different ways. They're not heading to any airports. Uh, They're trying to, you know, smuggle themselves, their families, and and whatever belongings they have, and to head to um, Uzbekistan or, you know, any one of the um, smaller countries that surround Afghanistan just for the mere chance of, of getting out for now and then deciding what to do later, later, whether it's to head to Europe or to the United States or wherever they can get. But it is so chaotic that people understand that every single day that they're there is a risk to their lives, their family lives, their children's lives, and they don't want to be there. It is so chaotic. And, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking, you know, because if you've watched that Afga- Afghanistan, excuse me, for the last um, three, four decades, you know that it's not it's, it hasn't been a party for them by any means. It hasn't been easy on them. And every decade has brought up upon itself its, its own challenges and, um, you know, ways of life and, and dealing with it. And, you know, they have never had an easy shake at it. And now to see them try to sit their lives into a backpack, smuggle themselves out of the country, and to speak to them, and regardless of their socioeconomic bracket, I don't think anybody is immune to the rule of the Taliban.
0: Um, that's, that's what I'm hearing. You know, I started out today and I, I asked a question that was really a simple question, but it goes much further. What does the world know that we won't acknowledge about the quality of leadership in this country? And I'm going to use an example that you're more than aware of. You've written about it on Foreign Desk News. Back in 2010, uh, Osama bin Laden, the former, now former leader of Al-Qaeda, in talking with his men on what to do, what strategies to take, opportunities to take out President Barack Obama at the time, uh, David Petraeus when he was CIA director, but he specifically instructed them not to take out Joe Biden. And he stated the reasons why, is that he believed that Biden will eventually create a crisis. Now, that's startling. I had to read it for myself from the information put out there, because while it's not that I didn't want to believe it, it was just the perspective that our enemies know who the danger is internally uh, from a leadership perspective. He said, "Osama bin Laden, Biden is totally unprepared for that post. If you take out Obama, that is, which will lead the U.S. into a crisis." It,
1: it, it's it's mind-boggling, isn't it? Uh, I tweeted this because we did the story at the foreign desk. We tweeted this and said, "You know, it's it, our enemy knew something that half this country didn't see or didn't know." Um, of course, Osama bin Laden and. So many other uh, rogue nations knew this. That's why all of our enemies were pushing for Biden to win this election. Because these leaders are leaders. They want to win. And they, understand, they smell out a loser, somebody who doesn't want to win. And that's exactly what happened. Um, it, it's as easy as that. It's, it's that we have known and recognized even Barack Obama, who, especially with regards to foreign policy, was never one to lead. He didn't, his, his philosophy, his ideology wasn't such that Americans should win. It was always to surrender, to apologize, to beg and bow, and to feel guilty for American history and for American leadership. And uh, we knew that this was going to be just a continuation of someone who has less of that um, you know, facade and sass and ability to speak at the podium, obviously. So he's a complete loser. And that's exactly what our enemies wanted. And I guess half this country went along with it. And this is where we're at.
0: What about other world leaders and their reactions? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, to just draw a contrast, Lisa. Uh, under President Trump, normalization and recognition in the Middle East when it came to Israel was an important part of this, but it was something else. It was stability, and you and I have talked about this before. There was a stability emerging, not necessarily, you know, Muslim nations falling in love with Israel, but stability, cooperation, economic recognition, economic cooperation, where there were mutual points of interest. That was beginning to stabilize then and now, where we are now. Have we seen any remarkable change between the various nations that had normalized relations? And what about the other bad actors, aside from Hamas congratulating the Taliban? What about Hezbollah and others?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I, and I want to answer it in, in two parts, because I think you bring up two fantastic points in all of this. First is, of course, that we see the terror organizations getting extremely excited. It's like they've gained a godfather that's now in the position of, you know, uh, uh, in a place to help them and to collaborate with them. And you're going to see a lot more collaboration between the different groups, whereas before maybe they had some differences. Maybe they were all vying for recruits, they were all vying for donations. But now you're going to see a lot more collaborating between these groups. You have a group like Hezbollah in Lebanon, for example, that's suffering financially that it has, more, has better access to Israel, for example. Of course, we know Hamas has congratulated them. We know, obviously, the Iranian regime could not be happier. They've called this a, a win for the Taliban against the United States. They've also warned Israel, watch out for your, quote, friend of the United States, because they'll betray you the way that they did the people of, of Afghanistan. Uh, so we know, we know where China stands. We know where a lot of our enemies stand on this, the rogue nations stand on this. The second part you bring up is the Abraham Accords, which you perfectly said brought so much stability to the region. And it brought up about something very, very new. And it it, it, it focused on the other part of the Middle East, the part that, that Obama had ignored. President Obama chose to favor the pro-Iran coalition in the Middle East and, and ignored the pro-Saudis. Uh, or the more moderate states. And I know people always are up in arms when I say, oh, but Saudis are moderate. They're not, but they are anti-terror. Because if, if they're for, for their own selfish needs, they need to keep, keep terrorism outside of their borders. And for that reason, we have, we're have, we aligned with them in that interest. And that's where I'll leave that. When you look at the Abraham Accords, when you look at the day-to-day and how far these these moderate Arab nations have come with Israel in true collaboration, David, it's not just a piece of paper, and you know this very well. We're talking about a lot of deals both public and private sector deals that are going on and thriving you know it's 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 a wonderful thing to see my next point is to say I believe and I'm making this prediction but I believe that the other Arab nations with or without uh, the prompts by the United States because we're not seeing any interest from the Biden administration may join the Abraham Accords because of what happened in Afghanistan and that is to fortify this pro-Saudi coalition and of course Saudi Arabia being the most important country that has not yet signed on to the Abraham Accords but we know that they obviously had to give some sort of nod or approval or their blessing for these other Arab nations to come along and join uh, the Abraham Accords so I think that we're going to see a lot more of these Arab nations moving towards Israel whether in a formal capacity or not in order to combat this growing threat Afghanistan now belongs to a terror organization it's so difficult to digest this fast um and for that reason we'll join along with the iranian regime and hezbollah and hamas in gaza and so the because the terror um coalition is is growing we have to have our own you know coalition growing on this side and as i said i think the arab nations may join faster we were told by jared kushner and and uh, Donald Trump at the time, that there are other nations that have interests. Uh, And, you know, when the Biden administration came in, they really put this all to rest. They did not want to even talk about it. They didn't want to name the Abraham Accords by name. And, of course, they did not um, pursue, you know, any advancement of the Abraham Accords. But I think we're going to be seeing some changes in the Middle East, both for good and for bad. And uh, we'll have to stay tuned and see where we can focus on the good. In order to, you know, fortify this um, other other team of of anti-terror players.
0: There's so much here to unpack, and I have a feeling—not uh, a feeling, but I think it's for us to recognize that this will not play out quickly. This will be a years-long event. Uh, there's a lot of discussion about the various groups and terror groups specifically and state actors like Iran in the Middle East. You and I have talked about this over the many years, Lisa, that uh, they will unite against the great Satan. And of course, there's Israel, often referred to as the little Satan. Uh, They will fight each other at times. Is there any indication, history that shows that there might be more fighting with each other given this recent situation or does this unify because of a common purpose and added to that the ability to act asymmetrically which more so exists now mm-hmm. around the world using technology social media and even insertion of fighters into the escape and evacuees
1: right and i think you know i think it really really depends on on the next few, um, actions and and positioning from the White House. And I know that sounds crazy because this is how we got here to begin with. And it seems now that that the United States is irrelevant, but it's not. If the United States continues to show itself as a weak loser, you know, who's not interested in, in gaining any sort of traction in the Middle East or gaining any sort of wins against these terror organizations. And I think it's going to get they're going to unite against us and it's going to get very bad because they're going to think well you know we had four years of uh the trump presidency where it was just no bs right a ton of sanctions they are all suffering because of those sanctions we know that for a fact uh and we saw isis dissolve we saw hamas put up charity boxes in supermarkets across lebanon uh we're seeing you know hamas was you know punished in to a certain extent in gaza Uh, for its attacks on not just the Israelis, but on the Palestinian people and and, and really um, the human rights abuses. For that that reason, we we pulled out of of, uh, giving Palestinian aid and at the UN. And, of course, the Biden administration came back and reinstated all of that and showed a very happy face to the Iranian regime, to Hamas, to Hezbollah, to, you know, and now to the Taliban. So I think it's very important, the positioning of the United States, even going forward from here on, Um, where we stand and I think that will determine whether these terror organizations will in fact collaborate, they'll become a a bigger entity or whether they will go back to vying for that check from cutter or, uh, getting recruits out of Europe or what kind of social media, you know, uh, posts to put up, whether they put up rap videos to get recruits. or they put out magazines, like he said, they have been in competition for many years and that's only when they're under pressure, but when they're not under pressure they might as well just unite and, like you said, go after the big seed and the little
0: one. We'll be continuing our coverage, Lisa, for some time, as I said before. And uh, I hope, as always, and you've done this over the years, uh, you'll be there to help us understand this. Uh, You know, too often, Lisa, we hear from pundits on American television who have so little connection. And, and, and you know what? I'll just say it. thank you. Over the years, you've brought Palestinian leaders to this show. You've brought dissidents. Y- you've done the work, and we need that kind of analysis right now.
1: I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me, and thank you for your your very very detailed and I know a lot of shows. I should return the compliment. Don't go into the detail and the minutiae of what's important and. In this case, it's not really minutiae because this is all going to, um, it's going to play out, and, and we need to be prepared for it. So thank you for anticipating these very important issues and really uh, breaking them down. So thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, and to that point, by the way, you can just go to foreigndesknews.com, click on podcast, and get all the information there where you can listen to and see Lisa Daftari, editor-in-chief of the Foreign Desk News. Thank you, Lisa. My pleasure.